You can be seated. What a fine mess this is. Let's put Chris Simpson up and let's put him, little Brian McBride up and let's let them have him preach just two wonderful, wonderful messages. And when there's nothing left to say, Brother Fleur, you come and see what you can do with it. I think what this meeting needs is help in the moderating, but anyway. I don't know if you've noticed a lot of these preachers preach with iPads. I, I preach with an iPad, and there are some places I go, well, the preacher doesn't want you to, and that's fine. used to carry notepads and notebooks and papers, but an iPad is wonderful because, well, it's easier to carry a lot of sermons with you in a meeting, not always knowing what you're going to preach. And even in a service, you could change, you know. Um, or if you get, like today, you could very quickly go to uh, easysermons.com and get something real fast, and so... <laughs> Very, very useful too. First Samuel 31. First Samuel 31. It's on my heart the last couple of days, and I got up this morning and thought, well, if my number gets punched today, this is where I would go. And uh, I'm going to dovetail a little bit off of Brother, uh, Brother Chris, and then Brother Brian. We were kind of in the life of David and Saul. So let me just give you a thought to take us to lunch in 1 Samuel chapter 31. And I'll just read one verse. You would know the context. Verse 6, so Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. Chapter 31 gives you the sad, tragic demise of Israel's first king, Saul. If you had been chased by him for the last seven years, if you had been the target of his murderous rage, if you had been enemy number one, this was a good day. But when the news came to David that Saul had been killed, he didn't rejoice, but instead he wept. In fact, one of the most tender passages in all the Bible is the very next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 1, where David writes a tribute to both Saul and Jonathan in their death. David mourned for Saul because at one time he had been the anointed of God and Jonathan had been his friend. And when God promised to Israel to, a, to have a king and Saul was chosen, it looked like there was a lot of promise. Because when Saul started out, um, uh, he was a good king. In fact, for about two years, there was high morale in the nation. He built up defenses. It was, it was prosperous. But after two years, it all took a nosedive. Things turned bad to worse. And the last 38 years of a 48-year reign was really bad. And 33 years into it, God finally had had enough and told Samuel, you go down to Bethlehem, you anoint the shepherd boy. I have chosen someone besides him. And so Samuel goes down, he anoints David, and David becomes the shepherd king. But it would actually be another seven years before David would actually become the king. And so Saul reigned the last seven years of his reign without the hand of God, God having chosen another man to be his replacement. And Saul spent those seven years trying to kill God's replacement, trying to kill David. You know the story. Saul had four sons, two daughters. You'd be familiar with some of them. The one that you'd be most familiar with is Jonathan. And there had to come a time when Jonathan realized that, that my father has lost the touch of God. Saul's making rash decisions. He is impetuous. He's insecure. He's impulsive. He's on a downward slide. It's picking up speed all the way down. And I think it was obvious. 
Everybody knew it, but nobody would say it. And the madness really came to light when David came into their life. That happened in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Israelites are in a battle with the Philistines. The Philistines have brought Goliath in, their hero, to taunt the Israelites. And David shows up to bring his brother's food. And he ends up being a hero overnight, killing Goliath. And so Saul is impressed with David and he brings him into his family and brings him into the army. David is brought into the inner chamber. Jonathan is very soon impressed with David and as unlikely as it seems, Jonathan and David become very close friends. You'll see that friendship chapter 18 if you'll turn back to it quickly. In chapter 18 and verse number one, the Bible says it came to pass when he made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Chapter 18 is a chapter of extremes because in that chapter you have David's greatest enemy, you have David's greatest friend. There's a man in that chapter that hates David so much that he's trying to kill him. There's a man in that chapter that loves David enough that he'd be willing to die for him. And so most of this chapter in the next couple of chapters deals with Saul's hatred for David, his obsession with trying to kill him. He chases David into the wilderness for several years, but Jonathan loved David. And every time that Jonathan is mentioned in preaching, he's always held up as an example of friendship. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no man who exhibited the characteristics of friendship like Jonathan did. And a man's true character is sometimes seen when he is contrasted with his counterpart. And the counterpart to Jonathan is another man named Jonadab. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we read that Amnon a son of David had a friend named Jonadab, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. That's the man that persuaded Amnon to bring Tamar in that sordid deal. And so Jonadab is everything that a friend should not be. Jonathan is everything that Jonadab failed to be. It's a real shame that some take this friendship between Jonathan and David, and they try to make it into something that it is not. In 2 Samuel 1 and 26, David said, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. And some have taken those words and tried to twist it and say that they had a homosexual relationship, and there's nothing farther from the truth. They were just true friends. And I would just say tonight, this morning, that, that as you pass through life, you have a lot of acquaintances. You'll only have a few friends. But if God gives you two or three friends that you can rely on and that you can trust and genuine friendships, then, then treasure them very highly. A friend is somebody who comes in when the world goes out. A friend is someone who understands your past and believes in your future and accepts you today as you really are. Thank God for good friends. And a true friendship requires a basis for the bond. You, you can't be just friends with anybody. There has to be some kind of connection. And the verse says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. There's some common characteristics that knit them together. That's why you and I can't be friends with the world. There's no commonality there. And so I could spend the, the, the morning just talking about the friendship of Jonathan. But as I, I've studied it, and I'm not trying to be contrary this morning... But I think that there was something lacking in his friendship. And I'm not just trying to come up with something that nobody has said, but, but, but I'm not sure if Jonathan was as true a friend as I've always thought him to be. Because I think that Jonathan had a very serious contradiction in his life. And that friendship is going to be put to the test. Three things we're going to lunch. Number one, there is a type in the friendship. Look at verse number one. 
It came to pass when he made it into speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan loved David. Here is the problem. In eight verses in this chapter, Saul is going to become insanely jealous of David and twice he's going to hurl a javelin trying to kill him. Look down, if you would, in verse number, in verse number eight. Saul was very wroth. The saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more but the kingdom? So now, now Jonathan has a friend that he loves and a father that hates him. And it's going to become impossible to reconcile the two. And Jonathan is going to be forced to make a choice. Look at chapter 19, verse number 1. Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. Put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. Do you understand that his father wants him to help him kill David? And beyond being his father, Jonathan knows by now that my daddy has lost the touch of God, that my own father is wrong. He's been driven by an evil spirit. David has the spirit of Christ. He's the anointed of God. He has the touch of God on him. He has a gentle spirit about him. He is everything that my father is not. And Jonathan is in the middle now between a father who hates God and hates David and a friend that he really, really loves. Now, Brother Simpson preached on it just a minute ago, so I'll hit it and then I will move on. He's exactly right. Here's who Saul is a type of. He is a type of the flesh. Several years ago, I preached a series through the life of Saul called it the Saul Syndrome. One of the plainest pictures in the Bible of the self-life is Saul. He's self-seeking. He hated it when they sang that David has slain 10,000 and I have slain but 1,000. He exhibits self-pity. He whines that everybody is against him. He, he takes credit for a victory that, that Jonathan won. He had nothing to do with it. He's full of anger and he's full of pride and, he, and he's full of insecurity. He disobeys God by not slaying King Agag. He's full of excuses. He's full of self-justification when confronted by Samuel. When, when Samuel told him that God has chosen another, Saul refuses to step off the throne. Another seven years trying to keep that from happening. Every characteristic of the self-life is exhibited in King Saul. We've heard that. Do you know who David's a type of? He's a type of Jesus Christ. He's a shepherd who became the king. He's the anointed of God. And Brother Simpson preached on it, and I wish that you hadn't now, but Brother Simpson preached on it, there's only one throne in Israel. And that throne represents your heart. And only one king can sit on that throne at a time. And God has rejected Saul. David is the rightful king. But here's the thing about yourself. Self will never dethrone itself. And Saul will never step off of that throne. And as long as Saul is on that throne, David is not on that throne. And as long as self rules in your life, Jesus Christ won't rule in your life. And if you want Jesus to sit on the throne of your life, in fact, David never came to the throne until Saul was dead. And only when yourself is dead, when you die to self, only then will King Jesus rule in your heart. Here is Jonathan. Here is Jonathan. I'm hurrying. Here is Jonathan. He is living with Saul and he is loving David. He tied to Saul by birth. He has the same nature as Saul. 
He's a grown man. He has lived all of his life with Saul. He has been provided for by Saul. He has been protected by Saul. His entire life has been intertwined with the life of his father. He has enjoyed the luxuries, the pleasures, the privileges of living with Saul. And up to this point, it has been a good life. But there came a time when he realized something is wrong with Saul. Things are not as they should be. And he began to see the faults and the failures. And, and he couldn't be blind to it any longer. And though it is my father, he knew, he knew that Saul was not who he always believed him to be. I think that it really came home to him as he got closer to David. When he began to love David, the contrast was so sharp that he could not turn away from it. And it becomes impossible to be with Saul and to be with David. It's impossible to have a relationship with both and because Saul hated David and because Jonathan loved David how can I keep loving someone who hates the one that I love the more that's his conflict you and I were tied to the flesh by birth we, we have the same nature. And for the long time, the flesh provided for us and the flesh pampers us and the flesh entertains us and we live for the flesh. And we thought that it was a good life for a while. But then we met Jesus and, and we fell in love with him. But how can you love the flesh and, and love Jesus too? Because the old man and the new man, they're just so different. And the more that you are around Christ and the more the flesh becomes repulsive. And, and I know now that the flesh, the self-life, it is not what I always thought it was and it's nigh impossible to love the flesh and to love Jesus Christ and there is a conflict that demands a choice there's a type in the friendship but then secondly secondly there, there's the test of their friendship Jonathan realizes Saul is no God's no longer with Saul but God is with David and if I ever had to make a choice between the two it would be a hard choice but it would be a simple choice but you realize that everything that he has is bound up in Saul. If he walks away from Saul, he's walking away from privilege. In fact, Jonathan's the oldest son of Saul. And so, so when Saul passes off the scene, who's going to be the next king? Jonathan is the one in line. But if I deny my father, if I cross my father, then that's out the window. And it looked like that the greatest pleasure, the greatest privilege, the greatest prospect, it looks like for Jonathan that it is with Saul, not with David. I got a conflict. So, so here's what Jonathan tries to do. He tries to make them friends. Look at chapter 19. Look at verse 1. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all the servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in the secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where there art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and that what I see that I would tell thee. Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Saul twice has tried to kill David and he has sent David on a suicide mission with the Philistines and David has survived it. And so here's what Jonathan does. He gets his father and he says, listen, he said, David is not all that bad. 
Since David has come into our life, there's been some good. David hadn't been, he hasn't sinned. And really, Saul, what you ought to do is you ought to make peace with David. You know what Saul does? He has a little bit of emotional response. He says, you know, that's right. I, I should be friends with David. Maybe David and I can coexist. I, and, and so he says in verse number six, Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Boy, that's it. I, I'm going to clean my act up. I'm not going to oppose him anymore. I, I, I think that we can coexist. Look at verse nine. The evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. As he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand and David played with his hand and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin but he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. He can't do it. Saul hates David. He, he feels threatened by David. I'm going to try to love him but he can't. As soon as the next opportunity arose, he takes the next opportunity to try and get David out of the picture. And it becomes very clear that Saul and David cannot live in the same house. They're not going to be able to exist. And despite Jonathan's efforts to reconcile Saul with David, it has failed. And can I tell you that all of your efforts to reconcile the flesh with Jesus, that's going to fail too. We, we, we try to make peace is what we try to do. And we try to tell the flesh, hey, it's good to have Jesus in our life. And Jesus is not our enemy. But I want to tell you something. Your flesh hates Jesus Christ. Absolutely hates Jesus Christ. And what happens is your soul is in torments over the conflict. And see, here's what we do. We run down to the altar. But it's not to die to the flesh. It is not to surrender to Jesus Christ. It's to see if I can call a truce. If I could somehow get the flesh to accept enough Jesus to not be fighting all the time. But if I could get Jesus to accept a little bit of the flesh so that I could just kind of make peace. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't reconcile the two. You, you can't live with Saul and with David. You, you can't serve flesh and Jesus. When Saul learned that, that Jonathan loved David, Saul started hating even Jonathan. He holds a three-day banquet in the palace. Everybody's there except David. And it was a setup trying to find another way to assassinate David. And, and he says, Jonathan, where's David? And Jonathan makes up an excuse, sent him home. And Saul got so angry Look at chapter 20. Look at chapter 20. I'm hurrying. Look at chapter 20, verse 30. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto them, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor Thy kingdom. I would tell you, your flesh would rather you die than serve Jesus. Your flesh will stop at nothing to stop your walk with God. Your flesh hates Jesus Christ so much that it will oppose every decision that you make for Christ. It's good to come to camp meeting, come to the altar, make all of these decisions and vows and commitments. But I'm going to tell you something. Your flesh is standing there and it's ready to throw obstacles and blow. And he throws a javelin at Jonathan. I'm going to stop. You're not going to follow David. You're not going to serve him. It's not going to end up the way you think. I'm going to stop. That's what, that's what your flesh will do. Your flesh, your flesh will treat you royally until you make an alliance with Christ. 
And that is when your flesh turns against you and turns against your children and turns against your marriage and turns against your family. It will attack everything good in your life. It will hurl fiery darts at you. Anything to punish you for daring to love the Lord Jesus. The tension between Jonathan and his father is escalated so much. Jonathan knows that his love for David threatens his life. And this can't go on forever. He'll have to make a choice. Because how do you live with somebody who hates your best friend? There's no way I can be with Saul and with David. There's no way I can be at peace with both because Saul is not going to allow it. And so Jonathan one day slips off into a field to meet David in private. And it's just him and David. And Jonathan knows that David has to run. He has to flee. And this begins seven years. And, and he cries and he weeps and he falls on his neck. It's a very emotional meeting. It's in John, 1 Samuel 20. And I want you to read it in verse number 41. It says, as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south. And he fell on his face to the ground and he bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and they wept one another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee, between my seed and thy seed forever. And he, that is, David arose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. David, um, I know that you got to go. I know there's no reconciliation. I know that you and my father, I know, I know. So David, you go, but I'm going back into the city with my father. But David, you understand that, that that's my father. D David, you understand that if I go with you, my, my father would never have anything to do with me. And Jonathan went into the city. Now, that seems to be an inconsequential statement, but notice what it does not say. It does not say that he went with David. He made a choice. And his choice was to go back to that palace to where that God-forsaken father was. He said, what else could he do? Well, he could have said, I'm not serving my father any longer because God's not with him. It is evident that the hand of God is upon David. I'm going to swear allegiance to David because that's where the blessing of God is and I'm going with him. What he could have said is, David, I'm with you. David, it is a big sacrifice and I don't know what the future holds, but wherever you go, I'll go. I'll follow you. I would rather break it off with my father than break it off with you. And Jonathan went into the city. I wish he could have been in the field. I wish he could have been there. Because I would have said it, Jonathan, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jonathan. You need to think this through. Because that man, that's, that, that man that's leaving, that man has the anointing of God on him. Jonathan, you need to know that that man's going to be the king one day. That, that man is a picture of Jesus Christ. And I know that you have a lot to lose. And I know that the future is uncertain. But that's the man that you love with all of your heart. That's David. If I could have said, Jonathan, that man back in the palace, it may be your flesh and bone, but you know he's lost the touch of God. You know that God is finished with him, and that man will never know God again. And you may go back to the palace, and you may become the king, but I'm telling you that your father hates David, and he hates you because you love David. Do you ever wonder why the Christian ever goes back to the world and back to serve the flesh? 
Why wouldn't you cast your lot in with Jesus and say, I'm with him? Why wouldn't you say to the flesh, I'm done serving you. You never were as good to me as I thought you were. I don't know where this man's going, but I'm going with Jesus. Did you know you can't pray with the flesh, but you can pray with Jesus. You can't worship with the flesh, but you can worship with Jesus. You can't fellowship around the world with the flesh. You can fellowship around the world with Jesus. I'm not sure. I, 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 I know the chicken is cooking. I got to hurry. Look at chapter 22. I, I think this may have something to do with it. Chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dalam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. I don't know. I, I, I can't say but I wonder if that had anything to do with Jonathan's choice. It doesn't look like a really bright prospect to follow David because David is going to be on the run for the next seven years. And he loved David, but I wonder, does he love David that much? Do you love David enough to forsake your own family, to leave the perks of the palace, to, to close the door to ever being the king, all of your ambition, whatever you've dreamed of being, do you love David more than that? And every servant of God who has cast his lot with Christ has done so without the promise of riches and without the prospect of fame, fame and, and, and all of that. And all that David could promise is suffering and denial and cross-bearing. And by the way, that's all that Christ promises you. But I tell you that one day with Jesus is better than 10,000 days with Saul. Come back to it. Chapter 20, verse 41. As soon as the lab was gone, David rose out of place with the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed himself three times, and they kissed one another, wept one another until David exceeded. Here's what I find interesting. Study, study it. Jonathan met David secretly in the field and kissed David. He never did it publicly. He tried to defend David to his father one time, never went beyond that. I, I don't know if Saul knew how much Jonathan loved David, but he never saw Jonathan showing affection to him in public. There'll be one other time when Jonathan will meet him in the woods, but again, it's a private meeting. But he never kissed him in front of Saul. I just wonder how it would have been if he went back to live with his father for the next seven years and Saul's okay with his love for David. Did he ever stand up to his father again? Did, did, did he ever tell his father, you're wrong? And if he did, why would Saul stand for that until, unless Jonathan never said anything else? You're at camp meeting on Thursday. Thursday, we've been here all week. Heard 37, 82 sermons. I don't know what it's been. And you're still here. And I don't doubt that every person in this room loves Jesus. But the test of your love for Jesus is not what you do in here. It's what you do out there. Sing the songs of Zion in here don't prove anything. Sing them out there, that proves a whole lot. Stand and give a testimony here don't really prove a whole lot. Give a testimony out there proves a whole lot. Dress right, have separation in here don't really prove a whole lot. But have it out there proves a whole lot. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm telling you that Jonathan had a choice to make, and though he loves David, he does go back into the palace with his father. And I'm not trying to ruin a good sermon by saying that he wasn't a good friend. I, I believe that he was, but it would have cost him something to cast his lot in with David, and I think that he realized that. And I don't know all the nuances of being Saul's son, but I do know that for the seven years that Saul chased David, Jonathan was never with David. He was with Saul. Jonathan went back into the city. 
There's a type in the friendship. There's a test of the friendship. Thirdly, I'm done. There's the tragedy of the friendship. Back to the text we began in 1 Samuel 31. I'll read just the one verse, verse 6. So Saul died and his three sons. David's hiding from Saul. Saul has to stop chasing David long enough to fight the Philistines. And in that battle, Saul and his sons die with him. So here's what I know. Jonathan stayed with his father and he died with his father. He never broke from him. He never said no to the flesh and sold out to David. I would like to tell you that Jonathan cut himself off from his father, that he took a stand with David. But as far as I can tell, he had a terrible conflict in his soul and he stayed with Saul and he died with Saul. And when you live for the flesh, you will die with the flesh. So many Christians hear about victory, they never experience it. They hear about joy, they never know it. They, they really love Jesus in their heart, but they've never died to flesh and they die in conflict. They will live and they will die and they have never broken from the flesh and taken a stand for Jesus Christ and they will die a fleshly Christian. Let me give you the real tragedy behind the story. From the time that David has to flee Saul, from the time that Saul is dead and David becomes king, is seven years. That is how long Jonathan loved David while living with Saul. And had Jonathan that day in that field walked away from his father and said, David, I'm following you, those seven years would have been spent in sacrifice, self-denial, and doing without. But in seven years, Saul would be dead and David would be king. And what do you think Saul or David would do except reward those who had been faithful to him? Jonathan, he has lost the touch of God and you can't follow him anymore. And you need to break with your father and you need to sell out to David. And I know that it looks like you're giving up so much, but if you could see just a little bit farther down the road, because in seven years, God is going to exalt David. He is going to sit on a throne. He will come into his kingdom. And when he does, he's going to reward you with a whole lot more than you ever gave up to serve him. Jonathan could have entered into David's kingdom as one of his closest advisors. Who knows how long he could have enjoyed serving with David in his kingdom. But he couldn't walk away from the perks of the flesh, the pleasures of the flesh. And it cost him a place in David's kingdom. You know what you and I ought to do? Die to the flesh. Walk away from any fleshly pursuit that would hinder my walk with Christ. Don't go back into the city to sit with something that has been cursed by God. Sell out to it all. Walk with Christ. And I know, I know that sometimes it looks like that you have given up so much to serve the Lord. I know that sometimes it looks like nothing but self-denial. But I want you to know that God will exalt him. That he will sit on a throne one day. That he will be the king one day. And when he comes back, what do you think he'll do. He'll probably reward those who have been faithful to him and have served him and your reward will be much greater than anything you ever gave up. Jonathan loved David. I wonder if he didn't love the flesh just a little bit more. And I don't want to denigrate him unfairly but he didn't make the right choice and it cost him a potentially a place in David's kingdom. 
wouldn't it be tragic to love Jesus but love the flesh just a little bit more so die to it today and die to it tomorrow and say I'm with Jesus because I can only serve one king at a time only one king can sit on my heart and I've served flesh long enough and I want Jesus to rule my life as my eyes closed Heavenly Father thank you for the word thank you for our attentiveness to it Speak to us tonight. Speak.